wanted to record some video about telemetry deck and then I felt like, oh yeah, this needs some kind of audio track where I explain things. And yep. so I, I thought, yeah, I'll just buy a decent microphone and just talk over it. But the problem is like, as always, like you want to show something on video, then it needs to be nice. And if it needs to be nice, then you need to, need to put work in it. And then kind of that got in the way of actually recording the video. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's uh so what did you end up doing? Um I I ended up on a podcast with a friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I I haven't I think I shot like a few uh, minutes of on-screen video with no narration for now. And I always okay. keep pushing the video project further down the road. Like now I'm trying to finish the web dashboard. So all I'm thinking about is like, if I can finish that, then I can show off its features in a video and and post that on, I don't know, YouTube and product hunt or something. But yeah. then, um, but then I need to finish the web dashboard first. <laughs> and I think I did put like, um, I don't know, two minute video of the Mac app on YouTube at some point, but I didn't really promote it. Okay. So, yeah. Mm. I don't know. I feel like I know this is a trap and I, I usually don't fall into this, but with the video somehow I do where I feel like it's always not perfect enough to enscone in video, you know, like once I take yep. the video and then I update a feature and it looks different, then the video will be outdated. So I just keep, keep pushing the video down the road. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's hard, right? Because the product you're working on and what you're working on changes as you're adding new features, mm. iterating on it. So it's always going to feel like that, unfortunately. Right. Um, I wonder I wonder if you could potentially do something that's a little bit more personal. Like, this is me working on telemetry deck. And I'm mm -hmm. kind of thinking of like a sort of... Um, Somewhere between a proper video and a like a developer live stream, but I maybe actually, more like a sort of roundup video. Mm -hmm. I actually like, have thought been about up to this. this week. Yeah, um, I actually asked on Twitter the other day, like, "Hey, would people be interested in like me doing a live stream of my development process?" And like, there was a lot of yeses. Like, I was I was a bit <laughs> confused um, because I used to Twitch stream like my gaming, but since I usually game like in these very niche games, like my most, my, my favorite game is the Kerbal Space Program. There's not a lot of uh, viewers usually. I'd get like, I don't know, 20, 30 viewers maybe. Yeah. And um, so I, and about as many people replied to my tweet saying, yes, yes, they would totally watch me do very dry, very boring programming while ex trying to explain <laughs> my reasoning. So. I don't know. I might have to try it and then, yeah, just cut it together for a best off for YouTube or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think that could be done. I also think maybe maybe you don't need to go the whole hog and maybe you can kind of just do almost like a like a devlog sort of thing. And I, I guess what I'm trying to think of is like, is there a way of doing this that feels organic and, and mm -hmm. easy? Like maybe you just challenge yourself to, to record 
less than less than five minutes at the end of a day or something like that. Oh, or so you like you want to kind of like lower the barrier to entry, so yeah. so it will actually yeah. do it. I mean, yes. it feels like cheating, <laughs> but it also feels like a very good idea. Would it remove the mental block of being like, um, oh wow, I can't encase this in mm-hmm. video, ensconce this in video? Rather, you said, <laughs> you know, so it will feel less immortalized because it will be a log. It will be literally of its time. Huh. I like that. I might have to try that, especially because these days my day is very, very often interrupted by various calls and meetings and coordinations and stuff like that. But if I just like do a show and tell at the end of the day, that might, um, that might help. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Um, and I'm, I'm just thinking like, that's the sort of thing then you could even, you know, heaven forbid, uh, upload to TikTok or something like that if it's like a, a sort of blip, you know. <laughs> I think I'd have to do a, a create a second TikTok account just for a telemetry deck. Yeah, because like my main account, which has like three followers or something, is like me just playing with filters <laughs> and and doing weird goofy faces. Oh, <laughs> uh. um, but yeah, huh? That is a very nice idea. And I will consider that. No worries. I'm not going to give you the hard sell. It's just a like, yeah, could you reduce that barrier? Um, I don't know. At some point with uh, Project Magnum, I'd mm-hmm. love to be able to do the same. How is how is that going? Uh, ooh, yeah, I've hit a block, actually. To oh, no. Fair. Yeah, I hit a block last weekend. And this is what's happening is I'm, I'm getting bits of time at the weekend really to work on it i'm trying not to to do too much on the evenings in the week otherwise i'm just going to burn mm-hmm. out so i'm sort of doing things in in like maybe an hour here or there a couple of nights a week mm-hmm. and then otherwise it's like as much time as i can afford over the weekend right um but last last weekend um i hit this block and um this is awkward because I don't necessarily want to go too much into what the app is doing because mm-hmm. of the secrecy I'm kind of feeling about it. But it's got an AR view. Um, there's an augmented reality component to it. And I did a proof of concept. I messed around with a bunch of stuff and didn't think about my code quality and just went, yep, ram it all together. Let's see how this works. Got something working the way I wanted it to. And now I'm in the process of taking some of that proof of concept code and getting rid of all the stuff that doesn't need to be there, making it work nicer and pulling it into the main base of the app that, that I'm now building. And that's fine. That's that all very normal for the sort of process I have. Um, but one of the things I want is to be able to place items in the augmented reality view. And the proof of concept had that, but not working that great. I just had like a wherever you touch that's where it lands and if it doesn't orientate correctly or whatever then that's fine if it doesn't right. you know because you know like ar kit detects the the planes that it thinks it sees it mm-hmm. detects the flat surfaces or the horizontal surfaces and in my proof of concept i didn't bother illustrating anything to the user it was just like if you tap and it's detected a plane then it will drop something there off you go <laughs> Um, and now I'm trying to make it prettier than that and actually give some feedback to the user and tell the user what on earth is going on. And I pulled a bunch of stuff together from from one of Apple's demos. And somewhere between the two, 
things are not working the same. Ah, and you don't okay. really understand things well enough to easily pinpoint yes. where's the problem. Yes. And, and the issue that I'm having is that um, the it's behaving as if the main thread is being blocked and mm -hmm. I'm doing nothing in particular that I believe is blocking the main thread. Um, and I've gone through and I've, I've tried switching everything off and it's really like if I drop the proof of concept scene in, everything's like smooth as brilliant. Mm -hmm. It's just it's got none of the interactive stuff for, for the user and another pretty stuff. Put the other one in and it just falls apart. It's like as you move around, it's just glitch, pause, glitch, pause kind of thing. Oh, no. Um, yeah, so... I sort of felt like I went three rounds in the ring with it last last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I've, I've put that down uh, for for a few days, and I will pick it back up again this weekend, probably with renewed vigor. Yeah, that sounds um, like a smart idea. Yeah, and I think uh, what I'm actually going to do is, is is trim my proof of concept code for the view right down, mm -hmm. and then piece by piece transplant in what I want it to have. That sounds like a plan. Like, that's usually what I do, I think. If I don't understand th something, but, I like, the code half works. Like, I try to rewrite it, but, mm -hmm. like, using the bits that I know work, you know? Yep. And then try to understand it better better by, like, going through it. So you you seem to be doing that. Yeah. Yeah, it would be a process of elimination mm -hmm. and just kind of the bit piece by piece. I'm doing a few other things behind the scenes that, mm -hmm. that could be impacting it okay but because i know it's working okay with the original view then i know that it, i've isolated it to be in some sort of difference between the way the two are configured um so yeah it's just a case of stepping through that figuring it out can you um, can you debug in in an ar kit view like can you just put a breakpoint somewhere and read the values normally? Or is that like, is it because it has like so many frames per second that it's like too fast and it doesn't make sense? Oh, good question. Um, a lot of the, um, a lot of the stuff that's happening in terms of the video frames and that sort of stuff is kind of abstracted away from you unless you're literally trying to play with the AR frame and the, and the image it's bringing through. Mm -hmm. um, so, Otherwise, it's generally just like any other view. It's got it's a view with a a scene kit view inside of it, and the 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 connection between the AR scene view and the scene kit view is essentially where the you get these callbacks where um, anchors, as they're called, get added to the three D scene, which represent points in real space that get translated through to the the three D scene space. And when those anchors get added, you then tell it the thing that it needs to render there, essentially. Oh, and I see. Yeah, so there's an awful lot you can debug, but actually getting some meaningful information about uh, what is hitting the performance is sort of somewhere between what the view's doing itself and somewhere inside of its stack and configuration and the rendering hierarchy. <laughs> so... Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a fun one cool. to debug. I, I was expecting it. Like, I have no experience with that with that kind of thing. The closest I can get is, like, I wrote a very tiny thing in SpriteKit last year or two years ago. Um, yeah. 
And that has like a main function that basically gets called every frame. Um, yes. And that's basically it. And you just update everything in there. Um, so it, it, it sounds very cool to see like something that is apparently a bit more abstracted and like geared towards people who are not game developers, but app developers. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, it's... It's also one of those things where, like, it is um, imperative programming again. It's it's mm -hmm. like um, it's literally you're putting objects in, you know, that represent the 3D models or whatever is being displayed in that space. Mm -hmm. And so it's a bit of a departure again from being in Swift UI mode. Oh, you know, right. where you're sort of using every yeah. Um, so I've got it. It's a wrapped up UI kit view mm -hmm. essentially. Uh, and I quite like that. It's sort of like for for what it's doing, you need to be programming in that kind of like this happens at this point here. Yeah, I um, get that. It yeah, uh, it, it kind of demands it to be that 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 very imperative programming sort of paradigm rather than declarative where Swift UI, you know, you kind of leave it up to the rendering engine itself to go and figure out how things should look based on state. Which people sometimes love and people sometimes despair yep. about, including me. <laughs> <laughs> How are you finding that? How are you finding things on your side at the moment with, oh, with SwiftUI? Okay, to be honest, I haven't written SwiftUI code in a month or so um, okay. because I've been working on the server and I've been working on the web dashboard. So I've, I've been writing Swift on the server and JavaScript on the front end. Um, and I have uh, a wonderful colleague, Charlotte, who is doing the Swift UI work right now. And she's awesome. apparently been finding it amazing. Like she's getting in there deeper and deeper and is finding um, tricks and things to do and to like patterns to use that I've never even thought of, but they're really cool. So I'm really happy to have, to have her, her help here because it's just a lot of stuff. But yep. I wanted to say I can relate to the feeling of, yeah, I need to put this down because I, I totally get that. And I'm kind of happy that I have so many different parts of project telemetry deck that I can work on that anytime I feel like, oh, I need to put this down. There's like five things that I can really pick up right away that are very different, but also need work, yeah. you know? So you can, you can use the context switch to your advantage at that point. Yes. And um, it also feeds very well into... I had an epiphany last night um, in, about how I build systems. And I don't know if it's a good it's a good strategy that I'm using or a bad one. It's just apparently that's how what I do. So I was playing this game called Dyson Sphere Program, um, which I occasionally play. It's like really fun. It's like one of those uh, factory builder games where you have like various um, um, ways of moving some kinds of cargo around and then the various ways of like manufacturing stuff out of that cargo and then recombine those things and manufacture other things. Um, Factorio, for example, is an, is an example that many people know. And yep. um, so in these types of games, I always seem to do the thing where I'm like, okay, I need resource X. I don't know. I need um, blue spheres. So I built the thing that built, that builds 
10 blue spheres per second. And I'm like, okay, that should be, that should be enough, right? But I leave enough space around it so that when I, once I need more than 10 blue spheres a second, then I can just extend or just clone and duplicate this thing. And then at some point I'm like, hey, why isn't this working? Ah, not enough blue spheres are arriving. And then so I extend the blue spheres thingy. And then five minutes later, I realize there's still not enough blue spheres arriving because the blue spheres thing, spheres thing uh, is <laughs> um, starved by some other resource. So I, I kind of go down the chain and see like, okay, this other thing that the blue spheres need is not being produced quickly enough. And I've seen other players on YouTube um, play this game very differently where they map out in their head, okay, at the end of this, I'm going to need 14 of this per second. So I need 32 of blue spheres per second. And to, to produce those, I'm going to need, I don't know, 64 of whatever this is per second. Yep. And I'm like, that. I, I seem to be way more iterative. And yesterday, while while I was kind of quote-unquote debugging a problem in my production chain where like something was starved of resources, um, it kind of hit me that that is how I also like program. Like I start with this very minimal, okay, this seems to work, but it's not good. And I I kind of try to find for every part of the system, I try to find like the least... Uh, work implementation that is just like okay this is basically a placeholder for the real thing that is yeah. not pretty and probably not performant but it has the right API to interact with the rest of the system and then once I hit a bottleneck I'm like okay what is the bottleneck? Ah it's the queue system for example and yeah that's just like um, an epiphany that I had yesterday that was like okay not only am I playing this game this way I also think I'm building I'm building telemetry deck this way. And sometimes it's very frustrating because it's very hard to 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 give good estimates when you're doing it yep. this way. But also it feels like I'm it's very efficient to be able to put work where it's seemingly needed the most. On the third yeah, hand, it, you have to do it before like any actual fires break out because otherwise you're just in 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 damage control mode all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that it's, it's that sort of tension between between all the needs, um, but doing it like that is is it's kind of almost if you take a step a step back from the mm -hmm. detail of it, it kind of feels a bit like you're um, on any given thing you're kind of sculpting it. Oh yeah, it's like well, with with clay or something. Yeah, so like you know you're starting off with a, a square block, you turn it into a circle because it's going to be a head. You know, and that's a good enough head for the first for the right. first view. You know, if you squint at it, it's kind of head shaped. And then, yeah, next time round, you you bring a bit more detail and you give it, you know, the shape of the eyes, the nose, the ears, or whatever. Um, and you can get away with that with software development if you do things in a in a iterative fashion. If you do mm -hmm. things with a level of organization where you are making good decisions about what can be you know, a sphere rather than the whole head for now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the Python people yeah. are calling this method a sketching in code, which is very, very poetic, I think. I, I, I see some of this in agile processes mm -hmm. uh, within my day job as well. So 
um, we we have a couple of projects uh, that are sort of in our, our kind of growth initiatives. And the thing about uh, a new product, very close to indie software really, um, is that until you've got a massive customer base or whatever, you don't necessarily know what's going to have value or not. Right. You know, you've got a good idea. We've got a few people we're interacting with, all that sort of thing. And so you have to be careful about how much detail you give to things because you could spend you know, a week making that animation look absolutely beautiful and only you ever gets to see it. Right. You know? <laughs> so we've had to apply some similar kind of things where you, you, you go in and you say, okay, what is the, the – it's almost that minimum viable product mm-hmm. sort of view of things. Um, but it's a case of like what what is the thing we can do here – that makes this feature basically usable. And the trick to doing it, the bit that I think is where myself and some of the other um, sort of more senior developers within the project come in, is that we also look two or three steps ahead. You know, sort of say, well, okay, that's good enough for now, but in three, six, nine, twelve mm-hmm. months' time or whatever, there's these other milestones where, like you say, you want to – up, update that part before a fire breaks out as it oh were, yeah you know yeah and 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 it's it's a case of like you're, you're trying to um oh how do i see it um it's do you remember the the uh plasticine cartoon wallace and gromit uh, yeah i do of course okay do you remember the scene with gromit where he's um laying down the model railway track ahead of the model railway train that he is I on. do. That's even a, a GIF I use a lot, actually. Because, yeah, that <laughs> yes, is it, what, it feels that is like what that. being like a lead developer is sometimes. Like, okay, just like, okay, we're going this way. There's no track. Let's lay down some track while we're going this way. Exactly. And as long as you can kind of look ahead and go, okay, well, have I got enough track in my hand, you know, mm-hmm. to round that corner, then, then you're okay. It's just that obviously you do end up feeling like the dog in that moment where his eyes are wide and he's like whoa (laughs) yeah and then are the moments where you're like okay you have like five meters of track in front of you it's awesome you have like you feel like you can you can relax a little bit but then something forces you to change direction yes yes Um, and i imagine you've had a fair bit of that going on with with telemetry deck i do yeah um and but also, huh. Okay, so I have two things that I want to talk about. And um, the one thing is the the looking ahead thing is very, very, very true. And this is really cool because sometimes you realize, okay, this is working right now. But it's, if, if once we have like bigger customers, this is going to be a bottleneck. So there's this one yeah. thing that I've been working on that if we have time, I can tell you to, about today or the, otherwise we can do that tomorrow. Yeah. We can get into so that today. Tomorrow. Next week maybe. Um Yep. So and the but the other thing is um I've just realized this process this process breaks down once you've kind of like painted yourself into a thermal or architectural corner where you're yes. like, okay, um I've optimized this and optimized this and optimized this, and now it turns out that one of the basic assumption that I made about this system is is holding us back is wrong in some way and you just need to throw the thing out and start anew. Maybe even the API or the way this 
thing the subsystem interacts with the rest of the system needs to change and then maybe the implementation needs to change as well yes um and it's also important to see these things before they before they become a real huge problem i think um, so because sometimes um, uh, for example um in telemetry deck like we accept um these signals which are basically analytics events and we just call them differently um and right now they accept a thing called a payload which is like basically a dictionary where i can put in anything as long as it's a string so i can like put any string to string value into this dictionary and then later i can aggregate and filter and do these kind of things with this payload so if i can for example say oh yeah show me all the values for the system version payload and order them by amount of occurrences and then i see how many of my users are using ios 15.3.1 for example um yep. and the problem is that a putting this thing in a into a dictionary where i can put arbitrarily many values is going to be a performance problem at some point and the other thing is yep. i can only put in there i can only put in um discrete values because this this is just a string thing and there needs to be a, a different way of accepting metrics which like i don't know numbers and stuff and so I, because i want to have like aggregations over those as well i want to have like an average for the um, i don't know the time the application was used or something um and so this these are things that i need to think about now because in a year or so when i have had time to completely re-engineer that part of the of the system and also um manage the the rollout of this kind of th kind of system i need to have my thought processes already finished yeah yeah so you kind of got to look look ahead mm -hmm. and try and lay down some some sensible uh baselines right um but at the same time you're not there yet yeah and, and i'm that, trying not to right? do everything does, at once yeah. because <laughs> If I try to do everything at once, then nothing will get done. Okay. Well, I have, I like, a, like I have a deep pressure inside my soul to info dump about the new feature that I'm building for Telemetry Deck. But um, I kind of want to give you the chance to tell tell me about your things as well, because I don't want to hog the whole airtime. There's only one small thing going on on my side. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Detail. Um, so, you know, I've got, uh, a couple of apps in the uh -huh. app store um, kind of feels like from my old days now in some ways mm -hmm. um, one of which is my video mixing app uh, GoVJ and GoVJ is old now and it's showing its age mm -hmm. and every so often I get a bit of support request um, email and I had one uh, this morning actually and essentially the app is broken for this use so there's not a lot I can do and the problem is, is that the update that I've got is is nearly there, very nearly there, but it needs mm, maybe another two or three weekends of work. 
Um, and I've been far more interested in the other projects. Oh, yeah. Than, you want to like, it's, door, it's yes. either like just doing the dreary work of finishing the almost finished project or yeah. look over there. Project Magnum is gleaming in the distance. Indeed. So I don't know. Maybe this is an opportunity for me to context switch myself and mm -hmm. go back onto the one that's nearly there and, and do the right thing and get it out the door. I mean, that would that would feel good to have it done. Um. But one of the things I've done with this this support request is that, first off, I've told them if they want to go and get a refund from Apple, that's absolutely fine, and I will then send them through a promo code so they can have the app for free. Oh, that's um, very nice of you. There's no reason for me not to at this stage, then, and it's like I'm not doing this because I need their their money. The app definitely exists because it's a a labor of love. Right. You know, part of the reason I'm charging money is just to cover the cost of the dev license more than anything else. Um, but the other the other side of this as well is that I then sort of said I'm about to be releasing GoVJ2, which fixes most of the problems you've just described. Um, if you're interested, you're welcome to join my beta program. So they can have it for free and they can potentially get a sneak peek of what's going to to solve all of their woes. Uh, and I think that was the right thing to do. That felt like the, the, the most decent thing I could do in that moment for the user. Oh, yeah. That that sounds like excellent customer support there. Yeah, I, I hope so. Uh, I, like I say, I think this has probably given me the the, the little um, slight kind of smack upside the head to sort of be like, no, mm -hmm. no, no, you're nearly there with this other one. You should really get that, get that into the world. Oh, I totally um, get that. And I think you're doing it exactly right. You're charging a small fee for the app. So you are not super generous towards the the bulk of unknown anonymous users because they don't really care if you're generous. But if people yes. take the take the step and the the work of contacting you and talking to you, then you're super generous because then you already have like an existing relationship with that customer and it's like and it's easy to really make them happy. Because they took the yes. work of contacting you, of, of taking the time of formulating this email that I'm sure was very nice. Um, and so, of course, you're being super nice to them. Um, that's been my strategy as well, and it works really well. Like, people are constantly, like, I'm always like, okay, I'm really sorry, but this feature is just not finished yet, but it will look like this. Or I'm really yep. sorry because I took, like, six hours to answer to your email, but this is the answer. And um, people seem to be happy. They seem to be very happy, actually, the ones who, who write us, at least. That's good. That's yeah. really good. And I sort of feel like, you know, certainly in the at this point as well, it's mm -hmm. like, you know, in your shoes as well for Telemetry Dick, you've got no reason not to be as, as um, open, as honest as you can be with them as well. You know, in terms of, like, I am one person or I'm... A, a team of three or however you want to describe mm -hmm. telemetry deck right now um and obviously you're not going to get everything done in one go so actually just being open about that and saying okay this is this is where we're at we're doing this now um this is what it's gonna be and you can then you're not only showing them like yeah we've got this we're thinking about this and, and this is where we're going um but you're also opening the door for them to give you feedback as well you know, yeah, that's they, correct. They, they get to have some some input. Most of our, even most of our GitHub issues are public, 
And sometimes like someone would, would be like, and I sometimes I forget this and then I get a comment on one of them from a, from a customer or potential customer from someone outside them, the, the company, if you want to call it that. And I'm like, Oh, right. And it's actually a very insightful comment too. Nice. Yep. Oh, it's, uh, no, it's good. It's good to get that, that sort of input. And, um, unlike a big, a big faceless, corporation as it were you know they're speaking directly to the person who's in charge of making it so right. you know you literally have all of the power yeah and that to sort really, of help them or, or or not yes that really also helps with um because i have this feeling that if i can, can just get this feature done and if i can just get this feature done then so many more people would be happy with the product because um, then it could fit their needs even better. But what I'm finding is that um, once I swallow this insecurity or process this insecurity rather and just tell people, okay, this is what you can do right now with the building blocks you have and this is what I'm hoping to give you over the next month, it turns out that most people are very happy with that. And that makes me happy too. So... What uh, I really have been thinking about a lot and I've been putting in a lot of work is um, the new task-based query system in Telemetry Deck. And I kind of need to put this on you because I need to tell more people about it because I think it's so cool. And it actually seems okay. to be working as intended, at least on my machine right now. So... um what is this? Basically, telemetry deck is analytics data, right? And you need to query that data somehow. And okay. to do that, you formulate a query in one of the two supported query languages, which is internally SQL and our own JSON-based query language that we're going to expose to customers to at some point. It's kind of like partially exposed already. Um, yeah. The thing is, though, that... As we are getting more and more customers, and especially as we are getting like large customers, like our our um, our backend database is very distributed; it's time based. So most queries, even for apps that have like I don't know tens of thousands of users or maybe half a million users, they are done like in parts of a second. Like they take like two hundred milliseconds to to calculate or something. Um, and so we've been very successful with just, um, I don't know, the app asks our server, can you please give me the result of this query? Or sometimes it's not the query directly, it's the result of this insight, which kind of like encapsulates the query. And the server just asks our time series database, hey, give me the result of this calculation. Database yep. calculates it in 200 milliseconds and it goes back down the chain. But... Um, once our customers hit a certain size, like we have one app that is a very popular Reddit client for the iPhone, um, that has like way more users and actually live calculating the data for this, um, for this app is, takes a while. And okay. we, we are actually hitting like the one minute mark. And after, like, if you have, if you leave an HTTP request open for more than a minute, the system, at least on the iPhone, uh, will actually kill the request. 
So the the result yep, of the sure. calculation never arrives back with them with the app, which is sad. But um, also, who wants to have like twenty HTTP requests just open in the background while you're waiting for something? It feels kind of unstable. You know what I mean? Yep. yep so sure. right now. Um, only very, very few customers are affected by this because most of our apps are not that huge. But I, I want to be able to support exactly these kinds of apps. And so I've been thinking uh, about this a lot. And this is what I come up with, which is we're going to have a queue for queries. Because that's the other thing. If I um, – this like our query servers are super distributed – but yep. if I put like 20, 30, 40 queries on them at once, they kind of get overwhelmed and every individual query takes way longer. Um, so I want to I wanna have like some kind of queue that operates on, let's say, 10 queries at once and not 40. And I want to have the results stored somewhere just for easy retrieval. Yeah. And... So what I've been building is basically um, my own implementation of tasks. And the tasks, they have like a running state. Are they still running? Are they waiting to be run? Or are they finished and have a result? And is the result like a failure failure, or is it a success, right? Um, yeah. And then you have an API for the client apps where they can query the task status. So for the client app, it would look like this. Um, we generate the query somehow and send it to the server. The send server responds to you with a task ID. And mm-hmm. then you can just like every X seconds, you can ask the server, hey, my task with the ID such and such, how is that going? Is that still running? Yeah. Is it waiting? Is it finished? And if it's finished, like, okay, what's the result? Can I display something to my user? And so this is more or less working. I have a way okay. of um, running of, of creating a queue, which um, I didn't want to have another service in my um, in my stack right now. So right now, I'm using a Postgres implementation of a queue, but that might change. That's what I mean with the sketching or implementation details. Like right now this works, but it might not in the future, especially since another part of this service is a key value store because I want to cache the results of the query. Uh, So I'll be able to give it back to the the client at any point they ask for it, right? So the key value store is is actually even even worse. That's in memory right now. Um, Mm -hmm. Which okay. is, is fine for my for my purposes right now, but uh, very soon I'll have to think about: Do I want to have a service for this, like Reddit, Redis, or yeah. do I want to also use the Postgres database for it? Because Postgres has support for storing key value data now. Okay. Or is there like a third option that I need to think about? But right now, it's just a it's just a thing that I plug in. I have an API that says store this thing in the key value store, retrieve this thing from the key value store. Um, and the implementation of that I can work on once the other things work well, right? Um, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. You can swap it out later. So, so this works um, in that um, all the queuing works right now. The retrieval, I have a worker process that kind of like just picks up the latest items from the queue, runs them and stores the results in the key value store. And what yeah. also happens is that I don't generate random IDs for the tasks, but I do generate the IDs for the tasks by a hashing process over the actual query. That means that the same <laughs> query will always get the same task ID, which… That makes sense. And I was going to ask you about that. Right. Actually. It's, it yeah. gives me like many advantages, actually. One, it prevents duplication on, on the queue. Um, yes. Two, it allows me to ask for older values. So I have two different APIs for asking the status of a of a of a task and yep. retrieving its latest or last successful result. So what I can do on the on the client app is like, okay, first of all, I'm going to ask you the task status and that is still running because it is running. But also I can at the same time ask for the last successful result and chances are there is going to be a successful result from the last calculation and I can yep. immediately display that. And especially with these long running queries, I can say like, here, here's, this is the data from an hour ago. Here you go. Yes. Uh, yep. It's already nice go. to look at. You can already see something. And in a bit, this will automatically update to show the newest data. That's cool. And so this is also already working, at least on the web dashboard prototype that I have running on my computer. Um, yep. And the third thing that I want to add to this system, which is not yet implemented, is I want to identify queries that are run every now and then. So it's not like something that's just in the database but never gets uh, accessed. Uh, and yep. they take a lot, lot, lot of time to calculate. And I want to have a second worker process that just takes these queries. That is like, okay, we expect this query to be run again soonish and just chucks it on the calculation queue right now. Because yep. then the next time this customer opens their app, they have almost up-to-date data. And then it'll just yeah. take a little while to, to, to calculate like, the missing data that is, that's at the end of the time period. But other than that, they already have something really cool to look at. It is um, most likely going to answer all their questions already without, having to, without them having to wait for the calculation. And it's going to feel instant, which is really nice. Awesome. Because Charlotte made, made a really cute loading animation that is like our mascot Sondrine um, just like sending out and receiving these signals but I'd rather That's see data little, uh, than that is that little um, space probe that is correct yeah she's called she's called Sondrine because um, probe is a sond in both French and German and Sondrine is just a cute German uh, cute French name awesome um, but yeah so yeah, it's um the space probe is like kind of like a loading animation now, <laughs> but and that's gonna come out in the next version of the desktop app, I think. But um, I'd rather not see the loading animation. I'd rather see actual data. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And this gives you a method of doing that. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's kind of staggered in a sense of like the work is is cued you're getting that effect from it um so yeah i think delivering old results back and then showing something to indicate that the the new results are still on their way um i think that that could work quite well i hope so yeah um yeah the the implementation details are very different but um the whole idea of how how, we, how to do that is actually not from the Swift, from swift tasks but it's um i've been working with um, javascript and uh, the framework that I use is Ember, and Ember has this yep. add-on called Ember Concurrency, which is on the surface very similar to um, async await tasks in Swift. Okay, but its tasks are a bit more powerful, or at least I think so, because it might be that I just haven't discovered this about Swift tasks yet. But as far as I can tell, I can define a task as kind of like a class. Uh, I can um, I can put it into a variable, the task itself, and then I can ask this task, like, hey, what's your last successful value? What's your last result? Or just perform yourself again. And right. I can I can do inside the task, I can think, do things like just calling myself again. So if I want to have a recurring task, just at, as the last two lines, I'm doing like, yeah, just have a timeout of X seconds and then just call myself again um yep. and i can also like it's easy to access the task object because it's just a variable and i just can ask it to i could just ask it these two things like hey, what's your last successful value and also by the way perform yourself again and so that's kind of where i got the idea for implementing such a thing but as a web api and it's it works very well and um so now the last two days, uh, one one of the things that I've been doing is just putting that all, all that uh, process down in writing and trying to be as descriptive as possible with the API so Charlotte can yeah. implement the same thing on the desktop and iPhone apps. Sweet. Yeah, yeah that, 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 that makes a lot of sense. And it reminds me a little bit of um, operations, Mm -hmm. over in, in ios very much so yeah. um yeah yeah and um i've no idea if tasks with async await can be uh as as detailed as that in terms of being able to reuse them or whatever i've not really explored that that side of it um it wouldn't surprise me if that's somewhere where it can go or if mm -hmm. there's kind of a way of treating treating them as functions or something like that or as values that can be triggered again um but no that sounds super cool i can see that like how how that queue works and how that system works and i can also see like the opportunity for you to um to to add to the stack of what it's got over time as well so to actually build it out in in, in other ways um i'm thinking you know if um if you didn't want to have something polling all the time and sort mm -hmm. of going every X seconds, um, you could potentially look at like a WebSockets right. sort of setup and maybe you have a service that signals back through a WebSocket back to the client and sort of says, oh, task ID blah has now reached this status. 
you know, and that could yeah, then be that is definitely definitely an option. Um, another thing that I've been thinking about is um, there's there's a lot of things that I can put on top of it, but it yep. really it really works works already, and that's kind of what I like about it. I'm not saying like this is perfect or this is the only way to architecture this. But it really works for my way of thinking about it. And I see so many possibilities of adding on top of this. And and, and that's the thing. If you, if you want it perfect, you'd still be working on it now. Yeah. You know, like you wouldn't <laughs> have it to this stage <laughs> um, because you, you're never going to make it perfect. Mm. Um, you know, there's always going to be the, the very definition of, of perfection is like unattainable. So it's always going to be out of reach. Um, whereas like doing it to this level has then enabled your Swift UI developer to get going, mm-hmm. you know, and then you've got something there. Whereas before, you know, queries are taking however long to, to run and the users just sat there going, okay, the animation's pretty, but what's happening? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So this is good. This is progress and, and you can you can add to this. Awesome. Yeah, basically this is finished and now all I need to release it is just finish displaying nice charts on the web. And that's kind of like my 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 final project before this whole feature can hit customers and then I hope it'll work. Um because on the desktop and the the iPhone app like we have our chart libraries done and they can interpret all of the ways that the server returns um, charts or data right now and I have some some ideas for that as well like because the way we return data will change slightly but that's that's just an update whereas on the web I still need to for some kinds of data I still need to write adapters so that the charting library can actually understand and display the data in the correct way and once that is done i can like just flip the feature switch which is right now a static thing because feature switching is not yet part of telemetry deck but um, ask me again in a year maybe um then uh, i'm really hoping people will like it and because you said this thing about um, about uh, developer log videos, I might just try and show people, like, hey, this is what I've been working on. Yes, yeah, because this would be this would be an ideal target for something mm-hmm. like that. Um, I mean, you could give a brief a brief rundown. You know, it's very easy to sort of show the old world, right? Um, this is this is query running. Here's the lovely animation. This is pretty, but I want my data, you know. <laughs> um, and then you know, go through a couple of bits and then show how things are now. Afterwards, I think that'd be a, quite a good, a good kind of um, point in time, just to sort of show what, what's mm-hmm. going on with it right now. Yeah, I'd like that. Oh, that is a very good idea. Idea. Um, I'm I'm looking Sorry, forward I'm to giving you so. more work to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It is more work, but it is focused on development and it is also focused on getting the word out and showing people what I've done and what what we've been working on. So I think I like it. Awesome. I've been I've been swamped so much with like tax things and like 
things related to founding and a company. And I've been, I've been, I've, I've been spending a, almost a day trying to submit the correct paperwork to prove that I am not um, laundering money. Um, so if you've been worried about that, uh, I can now prove that I'm not laundering money. Who am I going to get to launder my money now, Daniel? <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I kid. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I don't think my, my, my washing machine actually does Australian dollars. And That's all right, because I'm in New Zealand. What's New Zealand? <laughs> Is it also dollars? Yeah, yeah. It's dollars, yeah. We, we've okay. got our own currency, but if you look at any given time, the, it kind of is within a few cents of the Australian dollar. Oh, I see. Very closely tied, yeah. Huh. Um, but you've not got the washing machine anymore, so that doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like, so it's a, it's really refreshing to have a small thing to do that has to do with the technical implementation at some point, and also will um, hopefully make people happy because they can look at this and see like, hey, Daniel and crew are actually doing things. Yep. Yeah, and it really it relieves a, a pain point that those customers are having as well. Right. Yeah. Now that's that's fantastic. Cool. Something else that I need to do today is um, as 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 I've told you before, I am house sitting for my mom in the countryside. Um, the thing is, I don't have a car here. Uh, my wife brought me here with her car, and it's been fine so far because I have a lot of um, a lot of food stocked up, and I also yep. have a bike, so I can just ride the bike to a nearby village, and they have a supermarket, and I can I can just buy stuff. But um, just this morning, a, I got a notification that. Um, the new MacBook Pro that I ordered that's supposed to arrive March 1 might arrive today at my home address. Ooh. So so right now this this is like this is DHL tracking and it says like something like um hey uh your package number ABC whatever will arrive today before 23 hours. And Oof. I'm like, could you be a bit more specific? Like, also, Apple says it's next week, and you guys say it's today. But if yeah. I can get that window down, like, a little bit more specific, then I'm going to just jump on the bike and ride the 30 or so kilometers to my home. <laughs> um, yeah. Because I wanted to start training properly on the bike again anyway. <laughs> and I think this is a good motivator. <laughs> Uh, a nice 60 kilometer round trip to grab a MacBook exactly. Pro. Exactly. And I'm going to be so nervous with that thing in my backpack. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, mind you, it'll, it'll be all boxed up and everything else. Yeah. If you if you can fit that in your bag properly. Um, oh, man. Well, that sounds worth the worth the ride. I really well hope it'll work ride. out because it might just be, yeah. I don't know, it might just not arrive today or they might have already um, rung the doorbell, realized there's no one home and just put it back into the depot or something and I can pick it up in four weeks' time or whatever. <laughs> well, hopefully the next time we speak, you'll have it. 
Right. And then we can catch up on how brilliant your new MacBook Pro is. And you can tell me all about it. <laughs> and I'm just going to use it. Like, I, think I, 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 will have had, I will have bought this perfect programming laptop. And I will be only using it for filling out tax forms and stuff. <laughs> uh, but it will be on a very pretty screen. It will. And at least it'll be as quick as it can possibly be. Oh yeah. I mean I mean in theory it could be quicker because I got the M one Pro, not the M one Max, and I only quote unquote uh got uh thirty two gigs of RAM. Because the price for going up from thirty two to sixty four was like over eight hundred euros and I was like, No way, oh, no. no how no. especially since I looked at the um, I looked at various like charts where they show like the difference in compilation time, and the, it was like well, at least on current Xcode, it was completely indistinguishable between between the um, the sixty four and the thirty two, and also between yeah. between the Pro and the Max because the difference is graphics uh, cores and machine learning cores, and those don't really matter to programmers. Yes, and so yeah. I was like, so okay. unless you're doing those things. Um, yeah. I mean, once, I don't know, Apple is buying my company, which I don't think will happen, <laughs> I will be <laughs> buying the most expensive laptop imaginable. Um, but since that's not the case, uh, I think, I think this one will be fine. No, I don't feel like 32 gigs of RAM is particularly skimping yeah. uh, on the RAM at the moment. I think that's, that's a very reasonable amount of RAM. To be honest I with think, you, I think so too. Yeah, the thing that I really need or really looking forward to is like on this machine here. I tried to save money by buying like a really small drive because I thought, yeah. hey, I'm just going edit, to be editing text. Like, what's the worst that can happen? And as we are speaking on my hard drive, do we still say hard drive on my S D whatever on my SSD? <laughs> um, yeah, on my drive, I have like. Of 250 gigs that are in theory available, 180 gigs are taken up by various Xcode-related things, you know, like simulators, yeah. derived data, whatever. And yeah. every other day I will have to like try and delete stuff. I tried moving simulators to an external disk, which uh, seems to have destroyed my ability to run iPhone apps on this machine. Um <laughs> So yeah. you can yeah you can, can you can transfer your xcode like um the main caches and everything for xcode to an external drive but it doesn't always work very well as being, being yeah that's what i tried using well. sim linking and stuff and all um, uh, right yep it it seems to work okay for writing macOS apps, but the whole like trying like I've tried moving the simulators to the external drive, and yeah, it's it's just completely borked. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's I'm just hoping for the new machine with the terabyte drive to arrive, and then I'll just be able to run my Xcode from the main drive. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Two five six doesn't cut it anymore. I don't think for. For general Xcode development. That's just wild. Yeah. Um, I've got a, a terabyte in this machine, my mm -hmm. own machine. Um, 
and it was a breath of fresh air because I'd gone from 256 on a Mac Mini. Um, and the Mac Mini was great. I had an external drive hooked up and everything else, but I was running into exactly the same sort of problems as you just described. Um, and then on my day machine, my, my work machine, um, that's a 256 combination right now. And I've got the same issue that you're mm-hmm. describing. I'm deleting stuff to get things working. If I need to go and update Xcode, sometimes I'm better off just deleting Xcode and installing it again rather than updating yeah has this always been the case because i remember on my previous work machine i would always have like three or four versions of xcode running oh not running but installed like the current two years in the last two years Uh it's ballooned okay so i I feel like anyway um, so it's not just me no i don't think so And, and somebody else listening to this might be able to correct me and give me the reality of like oh it always gets up to this size if you've got x many runtimes installed or whatever but it feels like to me in use it's become a lot more prominent in the last two years the thing is when i'm developing even when i'm developing for the iphone i usually i'm not using all the simulators at once so maybe it might be a nice idea for a future version of xcode to allow you to selectively download those yeah yeah definitely um Something else you could do is there's a tool called um, Dev Cleaner, uh-huh. um, which is in the App Store. It's a free tool, I believe. Um, Dev Cleaner for Xcode. Um, I'll have to link this in the show notes. It's by um, a developer called One, Min- One Minute Games, and I use that for reclaiming disk space with Xcode. It, it's, it's pretty reasonable for um, for showing things. You can sort of select um, derived data. You can select some of the runtimes and things that it doesn't need, and you can get rid of the archives relatively safely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I recommend that to to all of the juniors on my team because some of them are, are interns and asking them to literally just go into the library folder and delete their derived data Um is it's not beyond them but it is definitely a bit of a oh should i really be messing in here right right <laughs> you know um, and i can go use use this tool and it'll do what you need to do very good um, uh, i it turns out i have this installed uh, and apparently i did install it as during my great push towards like trying to free up some disk space um and it right says it. it has saved me 42.3 gigs so yeah. thank you, Dev Cleaner. Thank you very much. Okay. Um I think I think I'm now super motivated <laughs> to A work on work more on the on the task queue thing and B just like bike to Augsburg and hopefully pick up my <laughs> computer. Um yep. so I think I think I need to go now. Um, but David, it has been so much fun talking to you as always. Um, do you want to tell people where people can find you online, you and your projects? That's a good question. So yeah, you can find me on Twitter at David Gary Wood. Um, we'll link that in the show notes as always. Um, you can find my personal website at davidgarrywood.com as well. How about you, Daniel? Awesome. Uh, I am break the system. Just one word, no spaces on Twitter. And my main project is Telemetry Deck, which is a nice, clean, cute 
privacy-first uh, analytics tool for apps that can be found at telemetrydeck.com. 